Welcome to episode 19 in Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. If you have not already viewed episode 2, which includes my primer on numerology in Revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding Revelation and this series. Owing to the length of the chapter and the commentary necessary to explain it, I divided the reading and discussion of chapter 13 between two episodes. In this episode, the focus is on verses 11 through 18, the account of the second beast in chapter 13, the beast with two horns. Chapter 13 is the second of three chapters in Act 1 of the Divine Drama, a system of organizing the second half of Revelation, and which I discussed in episode 17. The illustration, John Dictating Revelation, is an Italian fresco in the Greek style, painted in the 15th century from Mount Athos, Greece. The reading from chapter 13 is verses 11 through 18. The illustration for much of this episode is a detail of the beast with two horns from the Bamberg Apocalypse, as used on page 112 in the AIC bookstore publication, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. The new beast in verse 11 with two horns like a lamb represents another world upside down parody. The beast may have horns like a lamb, but he is no lamb. Where Christ, the true Lamb of God, spoke with a gentle voice, this beast speaks like a dragon. St. John's World Upside Down parody continues in verse 11. The horned beast has all the authority of the beast with the blasphemous name, 
and has the power to force, quote, earth and all who dwell on it, unquote, to worship the first beast, another violation of the first and second commandments. This secular power reflects the words of Jesus in St. John's Gospel, Satan is the ruler of this world. That's from John 14, verse 30. And of St. Paul, who labels Satan, quote, the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, verse 2. The second reference in verse 12b to the mortal wound that was healed, as noted in the earlier discussion of verse 3, most likely refers to the continuation of the Roman Empire after the suicide of Nero in 68 AD. The life after death is another parody of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In St. John's lifetime, a popular heresy called docetism was widespread. Its advocates said that Jesus only appeared to die on the cross. The Nicene Creed's declaration that Jesus was crucified and was buried and rose from the dead was written to counter docetism and similar heresies. Here the empire appears to die, but does not. For verses 13 and 14, in which the second beast performs, quote, great signs and deceives the people, there is both Old Testament and New Testament precedent. St. John may have had in mind Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5, not only for its warning against false prophets offering false signs, but also for its affirmation of the importance of the commandments. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. The New Testament precedent, comparable to Deuteronomy 13, 1-5, is Acts 13, verses 8-11, an account of Elamus the sorcerer. But Elamus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, Without them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. 
and immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. A similar account occurs in Acts concerning the false teaching of Simon Magus in Acts 8, verses 9 to 11. The illustration is a detail from a 16th century tapestry of Elimus struck blind at the royal palace of Madrid, Spain. In verse 14b, the making of a graven image and worshiping it is another violation of the second and third commandments found in Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4, which forbids bowing down to a graven image as well as worshiping it. The offense is similar to that referred to in the discussion in episode 18 about the beast with the blasphemous name in Revelation 13, verses 7 and 8. The killing in verse 15 of those who refuse to worship the image of the beast has both Old Testament and New Testament era precedents. In Daniel 3, 19 to 25, the three children are thrown into the fire for refusing to worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. In the New Testament era, death was often punishment for those who refused to worship the emperors Nero and Domitian. St. John was fortunate in that instead of death, he was imprisoned on Patmos by Domitian. He was freed following the assassination of Domitian in 96 AD. In verse 16, St. John both parodies and expands upon the phrase small and great, which he used in Revelation 11, verse 18, the proclamation of the kingdom following the seventh trumpet. Now those from whom allegiance is expected include not only the great and small, but rich and poor, free and slave, but all are servants of the beast. In another World Upside Down parody of earlier verses in Revelation, you will find in the last half of verse 16, these four servants of the beast are to be sealed on their right hand or forehead, indicating to whom obedience is owed. This is the opposite of the sealing of the Lord's servants in Revelation 7.3, discussed in episode 12, and of the Hebrew temple practice in which priests were marked on their left hand. You'll find that in Deuteronomy 6, verse 8. Only those who were so marked could buy or sell. In verse 17b, St. John makes reference for the first time to an alternative to the mark, having the number of his name. His explanation of that phrase in verse 18 is very opaque and mysterious, but entirely consistent with the spiritual theme of Revelation. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Verse 18, along with the description of Christ with a tongue like a sharp two-edged sword in Revelation 1.16, is among the most puzzling, controversial, misunderstood, and often misinterpreted phrases in the whole of Revelation. Less than three-quarters of a century later, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, 
himself trained in the Eastern Church tradition under St. Polycarp of Smyrna, who knew St. John, wrote that he did not know to whom John was referring. The illustration is an early 20th century stained glass window in the Munich style of St. Irenaeus in Lyon, France. Many Bible scholars of both the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox traditions reject the modern post-Protestant Reformation view that Revelation 13 verse 18 refers to Satan or the Antichrist, a term which is used later in Revelation. These scholars think it is more likely that the use of the number instead of a name was intended to protect John from possible prosecution had he actually named a person such as Domitian, who was still emperor when John wrote Revelation from his place of imprisonment on the island of Patmos. Remember again that John was freed only after Domitian's assassination in 96 AD. A different view prevails among many evangelical Protestant denominations, especially those which reject nearly all Roman Catholic teachings. Many of these believe 666 refers to the Pope, the Bishop of Rome. This is a quite fanciful allegation since the Church of Rome at the time of St. John around 96 AD was barely more than a house church. So to whom does it refer? As I pointed out in the Primer on Numerology in Episode 2, the reference to the number of a man cannot be understood without a grasp of the Hebrew and early Christian understanding of numerology. Here there are three primary magical numbers which affect the calculation. Four, three, which added together makes seven, a symbol of perfection and completeness. If such an understanding is correct, that is, if seven is perfect, then six is less than perfect, and eight is an abundance of perfection. To calculate the number of a man's name in the late first century, one would assign a numerical value to each letter and then add the numbers together. The scholars at the Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms say that using the Koine Greek alphabet of the vernacular Greek language in which Revelation was written, the sum of the name Jesus Christ is 888, meaning an abundance of perfection. They say, one, if one uses the Hebrew alphabet, a not unlikely possibility since John's native tongue was Hebrew, the name of Nero Caesar who committed suicide in 68 AD, the result is 666, which means failure upon failure. Domitian's Caesar, who imprisoned St. John, was considered the reincarnation of Nero Caesar and may well have been the name St. John meant in verses 17b and 18. From the idealist perspective, which is the perspective of this series on Revelation, Revelation is understood as a book both for St. John's time, but also for Christians in all the years since then. Being obsessive over exactly who St. John meant overlooks the broader spiritual significance of St. John's body of writings, including his gospel, his epistles, as well as the book of Revelation. 
John's writing demonstrates that he understood the philosophical and moral duality which underlies the practice of Christian spirituality, that is, the reality of evil in the world and Christian truth as its only antidote. For more theories, ancient and modern, on the meaning of 666, see the entries for Revelation 3.18 in the footnotes in Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms, and also in Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture, Volume 12. Looking for specific persons who represent 666 leads the faithful to ignore the critical fact that the destructive influence of the evil one, or Satan, and his followers is real, whether or not his followers bear a visible mark. As St. Peter taught in the first century, the faithful must always be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. From 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Thank you for joining me for episode 19 in Revelation, an idealist interpretation. Next time in episode 20, the focus is on chapter 14, the beginning of redemption, following the rampages of the fiery red dragon, the dragon with the blasphemous name and the beast with two horns. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode include from the AIC Christian Education video series, The Nicene Creed, presented in eight episodes, in which the heresies of the 1st to the 4th century, including docetism, are discussed in episode 1. The text of the description of Jesus Christ concerning the reality of his death, burial, and resurrection is discussed in episode 5 and episode 6. From the AIC Bookstore publication, which is the companion book to this series, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, the second half of chapter 13 includes on page 112 a full-size, very high-resolution version of the richly detailed early 11th century illumination, The Beast with Two Horns, from the Bamberg Apocalypse. The book includes 51 illustrations from the Bamberg document. My primer on numerology in Revelation is on pages 7 through 11, and a special text box, Small and Great in Revelation, is found on page 152. From the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the major prophet Daniel is discussed in part 2, chapter 4, pages 37 to 58. The complete text of the Deuterocanonical account of the Song of the Three Children, on which the canonical Benedicite Omnia Opera Domine in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer is based, is found on pages 51 to 53. The Septuagint text, the verses 66 to 68, which are not in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer version, in, which includes the names Ananias, Azarias, and Mishael, is printed on page 53. The text also includes the stories of Susanna, Bella and the Dragon, plus Daniel and Habakkuk in the Lion's Den. 
from layman's lexicon, words and phrases of interest include angels slash archangels, blasphemy, commandments, Lamb of God, Nicene Creed, numerology, prophet prophecy, resurrection, Satan, signs, spirituality, and worship. From Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective, presented in five parts with discussion of the underlying premise of Christian spirituality, which is the reality of evil in the world, and Christian truth as its only antidote in part one, and quotations from Peter and Paul, including Peter's caution concerning Satan, from James and Jude in part four, and a guide to the development of personal prayer life and habits in part five. The key to accessing everything produced by the Anglican Internet Church is available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, where we've made it easier for you to learn about Christian education, doctrine, worship, and study using your preferred way of learning. You can watch our Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video series using the links on either the digital library or Bible study pages. If you prefer listening, you can listen to the podcast versions of any of our videos using the links on the podcast archive page or to our podcast homilies for all the Sundays in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer using the links on the podcast homilies page. If you prefer written works, you can access any of the 17 AIC bookstore publications, all but one available in both paperback and Kindle editions, using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog page at www Anglican Internet Church accessible through the Father Ron's blog tab at the top or the bottom of any page on the site. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, you'll be invited to register your email address and receive notice of all new postings. Please be assured that we do not share subscriber information with any other organization, and you can ask for the removal of your address at any time. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.